Community Alliance with Family Farmers presents the Farmer's Beat podcast. That's B-E-E-T. Hi, my name is Grace Perry. I work at Community Alliance with Family Farmers, also known as CAF. I'm the host of these episodes where we hear directly from small family farmers throughout California, getting the real information and the stories behind the food we grow and eat. In this series, we pay particular attention to the innovative work small-scale farmers are doing to keep their food safe to eat and share techniques farmer to farmer. Today, we are visiting Urban Tilth, a farm and nonprofit organization in Richmond, California, located in the Bay Area. We are talking to Deborah Supinski, one of the farm managers at Urban Tilth. Hello, my name is Deborah Supinski. I am a farm manager at the North Richmond Farm, working for a nonprofit organization called Urban Tilth in Richmond, California. Well, long story short, <laughs> I was studying paralegal studies, and I also had a degree um, from my home country in translation, and I was doing those kind of jobs. Deborah is originally from Brazil. But then I met my husband, which was my boyfriend at the time, and he was just starting school and he was going for agriculture. So we moved to Oregon, where he studied organic agriculture at Oregon State. During that time, I was influenced by him. Everything that he was learning, he was always talking about it, going like to these farms, farm tours and all of that. So <laughs> um, so I just like fell in love with it and I, I decided to make it a career for myself as well. Deborah manages the North Richmond Farm that focuses on food production and distribution. But she explains that Urban Tilth is more than just a farm. So we have uh, different operations uh, under the same umbrella of Urban Tilth. And where I work is, you know, the three-acre farm, which is more, more focused on production, but also on educational programs. And then we have the school gardens, which is at Verde Elementary School, which is just like one block from where I work. And then we have a program at Richmond High School. And that one is really cool because we have um, our program director is the one that, that runs that garden. And the, he got like a license from the state, I believe, to teach in the school, and he has his own agricultural course that he teaches every year now. And it's an option for the high school students to take that class, and they can even get credits for it now. They also have two community gardens that are open to the public. And then we have two community gardens at the Richmond Greenway, and that's more like open to the public. So we have a crew that plants the, the vegetables and takes care of it, but it's very like a very dynamic place because it's like in a very busy area of town and a lot of people use that area for walking, biking and, you know, exercising. That is also a houseless community that live right there. The community gardens are very interactive with the community in that way. And then finally, we have a watersheds conservation team that is also under Urban Tilth, 
but they usually work off-site. They go like to creeks and places that are like critical for um, native species. And they restore and they uh, help to conserve those habitats um, around the, the city. Richmond is located in the East Bay, like right above um, Berkeley and Oakland. So it's right across from San Francisco. Urban Telth is located in the East Bay of California and serves a diverse community. It used to be that African-Americans that came from the South uh, immigrated to that area. And then a lot of Latinos immigrated to that area. We had a big immigration, I believe Italians and Polish people, and that's so all those people were working over there in agriculture, in industry, and in the ports. Today, the population changed a little bit. I believe the, the African-American population decreased a little. And people working in industry, people that work in the metropolitan area of San Francisco, usually that is not, not agriculture anymore, except for our farm and our community gardens. There's not much agriculture in that area, it's very industrial, but we're trying to bring it back and trying to inspire the community to be more involved with agriculture, more sustainable, and to grow vegetables for their own consumption because that community likes grocery stores and fresh produce. Uh, it is uh, called like a food desert because there are not many uh, fresh fruit or produce stores in, in that area, especially in North Richmond, where the North Richmond farm is. The North Richmond farm grows a diversity of fruits and vegetables that are influenced by Richmond's unique climate and distributes the produce to over 400 local families every week. So the North Richmond farm is uh, three acres total, but two acres are in production. One acre is dedicated for orchard, and then the other acre is uh, row crops with diversified vegetables. So right now we're growing a lot of greens. The Richmond weather is really good for collards, and kale, mustard. All of the brassicas really love this weather. Actually, like year round, like our biggest production is brassicas, cabbage. <laughs> uh, I believe that area used to be called uh, the cabbage patch. And I, I can see why, because we take like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of cabbage all the time. And then in the summer, um, you know, it, it is a, a cooler summer than the rest of California. But we can grow, we still can grow tomatoes, we can grow uh, squash really well. It's a little more challenging for eggplant, corn, so we usually stay away from those. But we also grow, you know, like root crops, carrots, and beets also do really well. So our customers are the community uh, of Richmond and uh, Contra Costa County as well. So... We have a CSA program, and right now we are delivering for over 400 families. And we also have two farm, uh, I believe now we have three farm stands, and they're free for the community. 
We just set up in different parts of town, and then every week we bring uh, what is excess produce. We actually even bring, uh, buy a little more sometimes to, to give it out. Urban Tilth hosts monthly volunteer and community events. Deborah tells us about the opportunities for community participation and some of her favorite things about working on the farm. So we have like a once, once a month a volunteer event where we invite people from the community. Um, and we also are open for other folks that can come during the week as well. We don't get a lot of people during the week, but once in a while we have like a volunteer um, and we also have like cooking demos and workshops sometimes at the farm as, as well. So Urban Steel's mission is increasing food access for the community and also hiring and training people from uh, the Richmond community to learn about agriculture and sustainable living. So my favorite thing about working at Urban Tilt is increasing food access for the community and also the impact that we have on the community, how we, we can bring people to the farm, like people that live in the city and usually don't have any contact with agriculture. We can bring them to the farm and show them uh, what we do. So bringing people to the farm and uh, inspiring them so that they can see what we do and realize that there are more jobs in agriculture that they might think and different career paths that they can have in agriculture as well. Deborah feels that having the farm near the city is beneficial to inspire and influence the next generation of farmers. Because I think that usually people that grow up in cities don't really realize that agriculture is something very remote and like something that is off the table. So, you know, by having a farm in the city, you have that close contact with the population and then you can inspire and influence, uh, especially youth, to become farmers and be the next, the future farmers. In the summer, we bring a group of uh, high school students to the farm and they stay with us for six weeks. So they come every day, during their school break and they learn about farming and throughout the year we also have farm tours where like elementary school kids um, might come. During COVID, Urban Tilth expanded its food production and distribution to over 400 CSA boxes every week, even sourcing from other local farms. Over the past year, they set out to develop a food safety plan that encompassed production and distribution activities to make sure their food was staying safe for their community. So, you know, like, honestly, we're pretty new to it. (laughs) So until we met CAF and we started implementing our food safety plan and writing our SOPs and everything, we know we had uh, good practices and we were always making sure, you know, everything was clean and we were washing our hands, but we didn't have the full knowledge of everything that was expected. But, you know, little by little, we started implementing everything, especially like record keeping of all the the cleaning schedules and everything that that we do to uh, mitigate contamination. 
So right now, I would say we are, you know, we are at a good spot where um, the entire staff has already been trained and knows what to do. Every time that we're going to do something new or with someone that is new to the team, we, we make sure we revisit, you know, the SOPs and the plan. Yeah, so I think it's going well. With such a large weekly distribution, the North Richmond Farm includes a farm crew and CSA crew. Deborah describes this division of labor and how they follow food safety practices that work for both production and distribution. Yeah, the, the CSA crew and the farm crew are two different crews, right? So CSA is responsible for packing and driving the produce to the, the CSA members. The farm crew harvests the produce and CSA uh, folks help as well. When we have a big, big harvest, like on, the, on Mondays, which is our main harvest day, uh, we have help from CSA. So the farm crew is trained to do the harvest, the washing, and uh, packing the producing in, in the containers. And then they go to the cooler. And after that, we don't touch it anymore. Then it goes to CSA. And they will take the produce. They will put it in individual containers. Now they are doing bags because um, they're not being able to wash the, the boxes anymore due to like a high cost of labor for to do that. Um, they are doing bags, paper bags. They put the produce in the bags and then they have different routes where they go out to deliver. And now they also have a lot of pickups at the farm as well. So as we were writing the food safety plan, we had one of the CSA managers participate in the writing of the food safety plan and the SOPs. And they had their own set of that was dedicated for just for CSA and myself and um, other folks from my team uh, wrote the CSAs for uh, the SOPs for the farm and so we also had our training separate separately uh, now we're having a little more overlap recently like we got a, a CSA has hired a different manager for logistics and he's responsible for for the food safety plan as well. So we had trainings with this new manager and part of his crew together with the farm crew. And we discussed everything that was interrelated, all the, yeah, the connections and everything that they should know that happens on the farm and that we should know that happens in the CSA operations. Now that we have more communication in between, you know, CSA managers and farm managers, that helps a lot. And I think the goal is to continue doing that. And, you know, so that CSA is also up to date on all the procedures. And, and then we can also be sure that, you know, they're having the proper training and just as the, uh, the, the folks in the farm are. SOPs, also known as standard operating procedures, are a main component of the farm's food safety plan. So we have several SOPs. We use them for training, you know, new employees and also 
SOPs for like applying compost or making compost. We have SOPs for uh, handling chemicals and making chemical applications. Uh, what to do in case of like animal intrusion or any accidents or or incidents with you know people uh, people getting cut or something like that. So yeah, so the SOPs kind of cover all the the subjects related to food safety and how we can mitigate the problem with uh, bacterial contamination. Deborah explains how they make the food safety plan and SOPs accessible for all of their employees. We have our food safety logs in our SOPs in like PDF format as well. And even the logs that we have with information that we already completed, we try to like take pictures of it, of them and have them on the phone because it's really good to be able to check them as you are uh, working and you don't want to come to the office and and see what you already put on a bed or so we we have those uh, materials on PDF something that we haven't done yet but we're really thinking about it it's posting um, some of those things around especially in the areas where we're doing those things like the the harvesting and packing area having signs and step by step procedures that we have to follow, let's say, to clean uh, the containers or, or to wash the produce. We have one person on staff that only speaks Spanish. She can read some English, but all the documents from food safety plans to any other training materials, we have to translate them to make it more accessible. As a farm that invites visitors and volunteers, Deborah tells us how they factor visitors and volunteers into their food safety practices. So many things, like because it's open to visitors, right? So volunteers and visitors, like today, for example, we had someone coming and asking if they could harvest from the field. But when we have volunteers or visitors, we just have to make sure that they are doing everything that is necessary. And in order to avoid any issues with food safety, um, we kind of stay away from like harvesting and packing on volunteer days. We we'd only do that with staff. And then we do activities with the volunteers, which are more like just like preparing a bed or transplanting stuff that is not super risky, you know, in, in terms of food safety. Also because we have different folks coming and sometimes we have kids. Um, so we just make sure we leave our chemicals and our you know, fertilizers well protected in, in the back of the shed. Uh, we have warning signs. So we do what we can to avoid any, any issues. Deborah explains the pieces of equipment that are most helpful in their wash and pack area. Yeah, so our Washing and packing area um, is it's very functional, I would say. We have pallets on the floor. Those are for putting the containers with the food on those pallets so that they're not touching the ground. And then we have those big washing tubs that were installed there by contractors. I mean, we have like 
four four big ones, and we fill them with water, uh, and that's that's where we wash our greens. We wash them in there, we bundle, and then we put put it back into the containers. So that is pretty straightforward and easy to do. The farm also uses tables specifically designed to wash root vegetables and funnel the gray water directly into a drain, which is great from a food safety perspective because it limits pooling water. So we have these um, tables that were built with chicken wire and wood and then some sort of roofing material that is made of plastic. So as you spray the roots, the water hits the plastic roofing material, and it, which is like installed on an angle. And that takes the water to a spot in the ground that is like a drain. And then we save that water for irrigation of our landscaping areas. Yeah, so that is a, a very nice rack for washing root vegetables like carrots and beets. Sometimes we even use it for spraying like our tomatoes if they are too dirty. <laughs> uh, in the East Bay, we also have issues with when we have wildfires around. So sometimes our tomatoes get all smoky and ashy and then we have to clean them. So we put it over there on the rack. We we spray them gently with water, rub them a little bit and let, and then allow them to dry air dry before we put it back in storage. Yeah, so those are some of the tools that we have there for washing and um, processing the the produce that we harvest from the field. Deborah shares some helpful advice for farms who are just starting to develop their food safety practices and might be a little intimidated. Yeah, so when we started with our food safety plan, it was a little scary uh, to even, you know, start writing SOPs because we had no idea what what we had to put in them. Um, so my advice is like, don't don't worry about it. Like, just describe what you do in your operation. What are your uh, best practices to avoid contamination? to make sure that the food is clean and that is uh, going out to your customers or CSA members, you know, in a healthy way. And yeah, so just divide the operation in, in sections and you can also get templates from, from CAF. And if I remember well, I think you, you guys have already like ideas for like each one of the the subjects for the SOPs. So yeah, I would just go on the CAF website and and look at the templates that they have and how it's divided in sections and then just describe each section. Like I was saying, if it's chemical application, you, say, you just write down everything that you do in your operation. And then if you have any questions, work together with calf folks and they're going to help you <laughs> to find the, the best practices and to word it in a way that it's understandable by your crew. I think that's the most important. Food safety isn't the only new endeavor for the farm this year. Deborah tells us about some huge expansions that are going to be happening at the farm. Yeah, so we're actually going to have like a huge expansion at the farm this year. Like we're starting to build the future farm, which they call it. Uh, so it is uh, pretty exciting because we're going to have a huge new packing and washing area. 
And they're also getting a machine to wash the boxes because it was very labor intensive before to, to wash the boxes. And it has been in the plan since the beginning for CSA to, to purchase this machine to wash boxes. So that is going to be a big, a big game changer for CSA especially. We're also trying to get a bigger salad spinner because right now we just we have like a five gallon one. But usually when we have salad, you know, we have to use it several times until we dry all the salad. So we're thinking about something like a retrofitted washing machine or maybe something fancier. CAF is a nonprofit organization that has been helping small farmers across California with technical assistance and policy advocacy since 1978. If you're curious about the things you learned in this episode, head over to our show notes at calf.org slash farmersbeat. That's B-E-E-T, where we have links, resources, and photographs. Be sure to check out Urban Tilth on Instagram at Urban Tilth and share this episode with your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at calf underscore fam farms to stay up to date on when new episodes are released and see more pictures from the farms featured in this podcast. This podcast would not exist without the funding from the California Specialty Crop Small and Medium Scale Farm Food Safety Technical Assistance Program, made possible by the United States Department of Agriculture. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of CAF and do not necessarily represent the official views of the USDA. We thank them for their support of this work and helping real farmers share their food safety tips to other farmers. Are you a farmer interested in being on a future episode or have a question related to this podcast? You can contact us at thefarmersbeat at calf.org. Thank you for listening and join us for the next episode from CAF, sharing farm fresh insights right from the field and giving voice to sustainable agriculture since 1978.